What do you want? What do you want? We have all sorts of small w wants. Capital W, what do you want? What do you desire? What do you long for? What does your heart desire? And as you think and consider the answer to these questions, answers to your desires, will you seek until you find? Or will you put your heart to sleep? Will you put your heart to sleep? Will you anesthetize it? Will you euthanize your heart's desires? We will be beginning an occasional series on the book of Ecclesiastes to complement the main preaching of our church. Craig Lukens will be occasionally preaching through Hebrews. I will be occasionally preaching through Ecclesiastes. And we find in Ecclesiastes, as the author Thomas Wolfe put it, this book is the noblest, most uh, the wisest, most, most powerful expression of man's life upon this earth. It's also the highest flower of poetry, eloquence, and truth. I remember many, many years ago, it was the very first assignment of my freshman English class at Duke University was because of what Thomas Wolfe said, to read the book of Ecclesiastes, to see the beauty of it. And so I did that, and along with many other wonderful things that the living God was doing in my life, I came to faith in Christ and continued to read the scriptures and continued to go back and reread the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, it came to such a point that fast forward seven years after my freshman year, or um, yeah, it was seven years from then, um, I had just gotten back from a deployment overseas with the Navy. When we left on deployment, our country was still in the midst of a vast cold war against another global superpower. By the time I came home, that cold war was over. And in fact, on this deployment, I had met the president and shaken his hand. Is that, did I say that right uh, grammatically? And I come back from my deployment, and my wife is there to greet me, and we, I hop in the car, and we rush up the coast to Washington, D.C., where one of my best friends was getting married. And we made it just in time for the rehearsal. And I was one of the groomsmen, and then the rehearsal dinner came. And my, one of, my best friend Chris was, was marrying into a family where the father was a cabinet secretary in our government, for the United States government. So all of Washington seems to be there at this rehearsal dinner. I recognized face after face after face. And then the moment came for me to give my toast. And I, as you can imagine, I had a million other things on my mind that I was trying to coalesce, what do I say in this moment? And this is what I found myself saying. The reason why I love my friend Chris so much is that there are only two types of people in this world. People who have internalized the message of the book of Ecclesiastes and people who haven't. And Chris is the first type. I think I should say the same thing to the people in Washington, the people in New York, the people in Hollywood, the people in Paris, the people, the people in New Haven. 
the people that live on Yale Avenue where I live, in my heart, every moment of every day. There's only two types of people in this world, the people that internalized this message in the book of Ecclesiastes and the people that haven't. If you got here early enough this morning, you may have had time to read our meditation, a poem. You can turn to it if you'd like. It's near the beginning of your bulletin. We like to give thoughts for us to just think through and prepare our hearts for worship. And there's a poem that was written by someone that I believe was certainly one who had internalized the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. She was one of C.S. Lewis's closest friends. She was probably the most acclaimed female British poet of the 20th century, a wonderful poet named Ruth Pitter. Let me read this for us. The heart's desire is full of sleep. For men who have their will have gained a good they cannot keep and must go down the hill. Not questioning the seas and skies, not questioning the years, for life itself has closed their eyes and life has stopped their ears. But some, my friend Chris, <laughs> but some true emperors of desire true heirs to all regret. Strangers and pilgrims still inquire for what they never get, for what they know is not on earth. They seek until they find the children hopeful in their mirth, the old but part resigned. And though they cannot see love's face, they tread his former track. They know him by his empty place. They know him by their lack. This is now a call to church, you see. She then says, I seek the company of such. I wear that worn attire, for I am one who has had much, but not the heart's desire. There's only two types of people in this world. Let's pray. Lord, you are a great king, a great God. And we thank you for this word, this powerful, beautiful word this intense word, this book of Ecclesiastes, open our hearts this day that we would internalize the truth, the beauty, the goodness you have in the midst of this despair, this lament. Open our hearts, open our eyes, our minds, our lives to you, to your presence. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this is, this book is the words of the preacher this is a Hebrew word, koaleth, that comes from the root word for to congregate. And so this is the only usage of the word in the whole Hebrew scriptures. And so really the best guess for what this word means is the one that congregates a people, the one that preaches, that gathers and delivers wisdom. And these are the words of koaleth. And though he does not identify himself by name, he certainly identifies himself with enough descriptives that we know this is Solomon because he is the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. And then the little detail you may have noticed in verse 12, not only is he son of David, king, of, uh, king in Jerusalem, but he's king over Israel in Jerusalem. And if you just remember that part of Israel's history, there was really only one king who reigned over Israel from Jerusalem, and that was Solomon because after Solomon, the kingdom was divided. So this is Solomon. 
And we know that as well from the rest of the book where he gives details about his life and the things he was able to acquire. The words of Koaleth, the one congregating the people together, the words of the preacher. And we also know, given what we know about Solomon's life and his reign, that he delivers these words in a unique moment in Israel's history. They were a small and struggling nation, and then they soon became a divided nation. But under David and then Solomon, this moment where they were the most glorious nation on earth, where the kings and queens of the earth came to them to discover wisdom and beauty and truth and goodness. And Solomon has gathered all of this. God has done this for Israel. And what's fascinating is that at the apex of earthly glory, Solomon Koaleth writes this book. I've attained everything. What now? You may know, and I know, well, I know you know, because we pray nearly every week for some of the churches that we have helped to plant around the country and around the world with our Mission Anabino work. And we regularly get inquiries from pastors and potential pastors who want to consider a partnership and how can we, how can we work together. And recently we got a call from a, a pastor planting a church in Michigan. And he, I, I recognized his name before, because we had been con connected by email, and I recognized his name, and then he confirmed all these things on the phone. This is a brother who won a World Series championship as a pitcher with the New York Yankees. And he has his World Series ring. And what he did in the days to follow, sometimes shortly thereafter, was he found himself in the middle of the George Washington Bridge, contemplating jumping over and killing himself. He had attained everything in terms of the earthly glory that, his, that he had desired. A World Series championship with the New York Yankees. What then? He found himself asking. And by God's wonderful grace, a whole series of events transpired. And now he's a pastor in the Presbyterian Church in America, planting a church. What then? Koaleth asks. Solomon asks. What then? We ask. After glory, what then? And so here's this book. This, as we jump into the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, looking at chapter one, we're going to try to see these three main points that come to us from our text. The first one is just the very nature of what this whole book is. We're going to see the importance and the, even the necessity of seeking and questioning and lamenting. The importance, even the necessity of seeking and questioning and lamenting. Secondly, we are going to consider one of the two core questions of the book of, of, of Ecclesiastes and seek to answer this question and lament. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? 
And then finally this morning, we're gonna to seek to answer the other core question of the book of Ecclesiastes. Is there anything new under the sun? So this first point, the importance, even the necessity for a healthy faith of seeking and questioning and lamenting. We had our Presbytery meeting yesterday, Southern New England Presbytery, and we heard a report from our campus minister on, I'll whisper this part, the campus of Harvard University. Um, we heard a report from this campus minister there on that campus, and he, he talked about the people that God is bringing to their fellowship, and in particular, this, this one young man that he had had time to sit down with that very week. And he came with just a whole number of questions that he had on his iPhone, questions about the faith. And this young freshman, Mario, he said, in my church growing up, to ask a question was equated with abandoning the faith. To ask a question was equated with abandoning the faith. Well, that's not Ecclesiastes, is it? <laughs> that's not a biblical faith. The biblical faith has these books right in the middle of our scriptures that are full of questions. The necessity of asking these questions our faith will not ever be substantial and solid and strong and healthy unless we seek and question and then lament. Do you see the gift that's, that Koalath, that Solomon is giving to us here? Do you see what a gift God is giving to us with these words? Looking at this life, vanity, vanity of vanities, meaningless, emptiness. These phrases, just in this first chapter alone, all things are full of weariness. There's no remembrance, nor will there be any remembrance. It is an unhappy business. All is striving after wind, vapor, mist. Let me ask you a question. How many of we, each of us had two parents, four grandparents, even eight great-grandparents, and 16 great-great-grandparents. How many of your 16 great-great-grandparents can you name? We will be forgotten. All of us. All of us. Verse 11 tells us this, this gift God is giving us. Have you considered this? If I may, let me go even darker. Let me break it to you. In the words of Pascal, the last act is bloody. However pleasant the rest of the play, a little earth is thrown at last upon our head, and that is the end forever. In light of all this, in light of this first chapter of Ecclesiastes, do you see the, the wisdom? Kierkegaard put it this way. The specific character of despair is precisely this. It is unaware of being despair. 
Do you see the gift? If you are seeking, if you are questioning, if you are lamenting as Koalath does, if your heart echoed in any small measure with these questions, these laments that the first chapter gives to us, you have hope. You are not in despair. You are alive. You have not put your heart's desire to sleep. You have not euthanized your heart's desire by the stupor-inducing pleasures and sorrows of this life, either one of which can put us to sleep. This first chapter, here it is. He says in verse 13, in light of all this, and what then, what next? Verse 13, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Sort of like a greatest hits of all the wisdom in the church. Here's another one from Augustine. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. To not acknowledge the restlessness of one's life, that is despair. But to acknowledge it and ask it and seek and seek and move towards life, towards God, this is life. And so that's the first point, essentially. This, just recognizing the gift this book is to us. And your heart is not going to find its rest in God by avoiding or dismissing or moving around Ecclesiastes' core questions. We must, we're invited into the questions. We must move through the questions. And so that takes us to our second point this morning and the first core question. There it is in verse 3. What does man, and that of course is a reference to humanity, to all persons. What do we as human beings gain by all the toil at which we toil under the sun? After just a brief little one or two verse introduction, he jumps in with the core, the first core question of the book. A question that's repeated throughout the book. Repeated explicitly three more times, alluded to at least a, close to a dozen more times. This key question. And in the question, we find the key, the, the interpretive secret, as it were, to the book, the whole book. And it's the title for this morning's sermon. This little phrase, under the sun. This core question is repeated a number of times throughout the book, but that phrase, under the sun, is repeated four times in this chapter alone, nearly three dozen times in the whole book. Under the sun, under the sun, under heaven, under the sun. What, does, what do we humans, what do we people gain by all the toil that which we toil under the sun? This phrase, under the sun, just, it's, it's, it's not that complicated. It's a spatial reference, under the sun. It's, it's a way of saying this is as we consider life vertically, as we consider this created order, the things we can see and experience, considered in and of themselves, apart from any and all consideration of the living God who dwells in the heavens. As we consider life purely vertically, the temporal or the philosophical word, the secular nature of reality. What do we gain by all we're busy with? 
as we consider this horizontal reality with no vertical dimension, as we consider this purely material reality, the things that we can materially see and smell and taste and touch with no spiritual dimension, as we consider the brain without the mind, the body without the soul, sex without love, our biology and DNA without our person and our person personality. As we consider all these things in that regard, what do we gain? To ask the question considered in this way is to answer it. Think of the New Testament parallels. This phrase that we see here in Ecclesiastes, under the sun, the New Testament gives us the, the mental exercise of placing ourselves in this world and this world alone. And when we do that, we reference the world like Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, as when this world is considered in and of itself with no reference to God, this is a present evil age. This is the present evil age. When John uses this phrase about the world and the world is passing away, you see it's in this same sense. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and following, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Under the sun, this life considered in and of itself, no reference to the Creator. This present evil age, no hope of another age to come. This world, no reference to the God who has placed us in this world. In that regard, what do we gain from all our toil? To ask the question is to answer it. Or in other words, as, as Koalith tells us, this is how much you will gain from all your work, all your labors. You'll gain as much as a handful of wind. You've striven after the wind, and then you've caught it. How did you catch it? You actually can't catch it, but let's say you can catch it. What did you catch? That's all that you gain from life considered in and of itself. There's only two types of people in this world. The people where the power of this world is all that matters, all the scrambling. And the people that have internalized the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. So now, what if we remove the phrase, this key interpretive phrase, under the sun, and repose the question? What do we humans gain from all our toil at which we toil? What do we gain? Ah, now, now we're getting somewhere. That's a question that leads to great joy and hope. And that takes us to our other core question at the heart of Ecclesiastes, our third and final point. We can, must not avoid or dismiss or try to move around this other core question either. We must seek to move through it, to process it, to engage with it. 
And that's this. Is there anything new under the sun? It was so helpful to hear the word of God, this chapter read out loud for us this morning. And the way it was read with this this understated, almost sing-songy, cyclical phraseology and, and tone of voice. That's the point. The sun rises, it sets. The wind blows to the south, it blows around and around. The streams run to the sea, they're never full. The cyclical nature, the nature of life just around and around and around and around. Verse 6, around and around goes the wind. Are we stuck in a world where there's never anything new? Maybe you had a shelter, a refuge, a haven once but that haven was worn out and used up and there's no possibility of a new haven. Are we stuck in a world like that where there's no possibility of new haven? He says in verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight. Are we stuck in a world where everything is crooked and cannot be straightened? He says, what is lacking cannot be counted. Are we stuck in a world of lack, of depletion, with no possibility of sufficiency? Sort of, uh, I like referring now to one of my favorite um, musicians, singer-songwriters, Bob Dylan, as the Nobel Prize-winning laureate, Bob Dylan. He won the Nobel Prize for songs like this one, Everything is Broken. Broken lines, broken strings, broken threads, broken springs, broken idols, broken heads, people sleeping in broken beds. Ain't no use jiving, ain't no use joking, everything is broken. Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts. Streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken words never meant to be spoken. Everything is broken. Seems like every time you stop and turn around, something else just hits the ground. Broken cutters, broken saws, broken buckles, broken laws, broken bodies, broken bones, broken voices on broken phones. Take a deep breath. Feel like you're choking. Everything is broken. And then he writes, I wonder in this little interlude, I wonder if he'd been reading Ruth Pitter's poem, the poem that we read at the beginning. Because then he says, every time you leave and go off someplace, things fall to pieces in my face. Broken hands on broken plows, broken treaties, broken vows, broken pipes, broken tools, people bending broken rules, hound dog howling, bullfrog croaking, everything is broken. He had been reading the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the core question, this other core question. Is there anything new under the sun? Or is everything broken? Is everything crooked? Is everything lacking under the sun? Let me ask another question, which to ask it is to answer it. If God does not break in, 
and bring heaven to earth, do we have any hope? To ask the question is to answer it. What good news it is. So let's answer this question, but we're going to answer it first the way that Koalith answers it. His way of answering it is by way of suggestion and foreshadowing and portending and signaling and anticipating in hope and in promise. Just for a moment, not to um, um, confuse anything, and, and in fact, as a plug to, to um, come to our Wednesday evening School of Discipleship and to the class on biblical hermeneutics, where we learn how to interpret the scriptures. We are told how to interpret what Koaleth is doing here. In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, this is what Peter says about Koaleth, about Solomon, about the authors of the Hebrew scriptures. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Isn't this what Koaleth is doing here? He begins to do it in chapter 1. It gets plainer and plainer throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, that can be wonderful homework for you. It won't be a few more weeks until we go on with the next chapter. You've got time Read the whole book of Ecclesiastes in one sitting. It's very easy to do time-wise. And you'll see that this is what Koaleth is doing. He's searching and inquiring carefully about the grace that was to be ours. The grace that the spirit of Christ within him was indicating would become yours through the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. Is there anything new under the sun? Let's now, because Koaleth points the way, let's now just go ahead and answer it. Let's just answer this fundamental and core question of reality. In light now, not stuck here in this world under the sun, but in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. Is there anything new under the sun? Now that, 1 John 4, the love of God was made manifest among us here in this world under the sun, that God sent his only son into the world, into this created order under the sun, so that we might live through him. Is there anything new? Yes, and amen. There's a new covenant, Jeremiah 31. There's a new name, Isaiah. There's new mercies every morning, Lamentations. There's a new song, every psalm. There's new wine, Isaiah 65. There's new heavens, Revelation 21. There's a new earth, Isaiah 65. There's a new spirit within Ezekiel 11. There's a new person. There's a new self, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4. There's a new and living way into the holy places, Hebrew 10, Hebrews 10. 
There's a new way of life in the spirit, Romans 7. There's a new creation. There's a new heart. There's new life. And the whole scriptures end, the penultimate chapter of the scriptures, of the whole Bible, Revelation chapter 21, we hear Jesus answer this core question of the book of Ecclesiastes, where he says near the very end of the Bible, to sum it all up, behold, I am making all things new. Living this life, whether you've got riches and World Series championships or poverty, under the sun is meaningless and it will not last. Living this life under the sun, whether you've got the best friendships and family in the world or sheer loneliness, is meaningless and cannot last. Living this life under the sun, whether you have great knowledge or no access to higher education, is meaningless and cannot last. But because Jesus has come, making all things new, he makes our education and lack thereof new. He makes our relationships and our loneliness new with purpose and meaning and his presence. He makes our riches and the usefulness of the riches and our poverty new. This Christ who is with us in both his glories and we share in his sufferings. What a gift this book of Ecclesiastes is to us. What a beautiful work. It is the highest flower of poetry. It should continue to be assigned to college freshmen and college seniors and 40-year-olds and 55-year-olds and 90-year-olds. The highest flower of poetry, eloquence, and truth. And it really is true that there's only two types of people, those that have internalized this message of Ecclesiastes, like Ruth Pitter. And it really is true. Ruth Pitter is wise to say she seeks the company of such. She wants to be part of a church that doesn't equate asking questions with leaving the faith. She wants to be part of a church that has internalized this book of Ecclesiastes and the hope to which it points us. But all of these things, as we've been saying, this book itself, as beautiful and profound as it is, which points us in exactly the right direction, the only direction of hope, can only take us so far. And so we thank God, don't we? Did you catch that other little scripture we had read this morning? The Matthew passage. Did you catch in the significance in that little passage that Jesus comes and he says, one greater than Solomon is here. This book points us in exactly the right direction, but can only take us so far. Thank God that one greater than Koalath, one greater than Solomon, has come down from heaven into our lives to make all things new. Let's pray. You have come to seek and to save, Lord Jesus. To seek and to save. You have come to make all things new. And you declare that, in fact, it's not a mere wishful thinking. You are in the active 
tense. You are actively and presently, right now in real time, presently making all things new. Thank you, Lord God, for this difficult calling you've given us as coaleth voices. What a hard, hard life this, this life is under the sun. This broken world is just so hard. But thank you that you've placed us here as your recipients of grace and as your agents and ambassadors of grace to this broken world. Thank you for the riches you've given us. Thank you for the lack and the poverty you've given us. Thank you for the relationships you've given us. Thank you for the seasons of loneliness. Because you are with us in them. We praise you. We thank you that you dwell with us now in this supper. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.